What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the J-Ham Special, where I love to talk about Magic the Gathering, Warhammer 40k, Dungeons and & Dragons, and other aspects of my nerdy life. My name is John, I'll be your host for this episode of Magic Monday, where I delve into the tabletop card game of Magic the Gathering and bring you content about different decks, formats, ways to play, or even just tips and tricks or just headspace for a lot of people getting into the game. Lately I've been focused a lot on EDH or Commander for a lot of my players, but today I am going to be focusing on my kitchen table playgroups. I want to talk to you about whenever you are building your first deck, specifically, what kind of land should you be bringing and why even bringing dual tap lands can still be better than just bringing basics. So without further ado, let's dive on in. So, just to get it out of the way, I'm going to try and keep this as quick as possible. So it's going to be a little bit of a lightning round. If you guys want me to go over more advanced or intermediate topics regarding deck building, I might drop a few of those hints in here today. Hit me up the jhamspecial at gmail.com or jhamspecial on Twitter. That's the official email and Twitter, respectively, for the podcast. But when you're building your first 60-card MTG deck, I would not recommend anything other than this start with at least 20 to 24 lands do not go below 20 when you're beginning do not go above 24 if you go below 20 chances are you might have an opportunity where you get mana screwed aka you don't have enough mana in your deck to actually play the cards you want to so if you have an opening hand with one land that you kept but you have a bunch of three and four mana costing spells and creatures chances are unless you're drawing land after land after land you're not going to be able to play those spells Mana flooded is the other end. If you add too many land cards to your deck, then you have a chance that you might be not drawing the spells that you want to cast, but drawing a bunch of lands that you can't really do anything with, especially most decks you only play one land per turn. I've seen some decks that play with no lands whatsoever. They're a special kind of deck that's in Legacy. I've seen modern decks as low as 17 lands that people are playing with competitively. And then I've had decks, even I have a deck myself, that goes up to 56 lands. But again, that deck is specifically designed for that. If you're building or going by your rule of 9 or rule of 10, 20 to 24 is a good spot to kind of play around with. And you can kind of tweak which one's going to feel better for you. If you're playing with a bunch of spells and creatures that cost four, five, or six mana, it might be a better idea to be on the higher end of that, closer to that 24 mark. But if you're playing with a bunch of spells that are only one or two or three, or even just free, then you might be able to get away with 20 lands itself. But do not go below 20 for your very first or second deck. If you need to tweak that, then start going down the more advanced routes like your average convert mana cost and what kind of deck you're playing too. Again, that's getting more intermediate and advanced side. So stick with that 20 to 24. So now that I've talked to you about how many lands you should be playing, what kind of lands is a little bit more complicated. Now, if you are playing a monocolor deck, there is no reason to play anything other than basics unless you are building a deck designed around specific land cards. This is like lands like Tron. Um, for those of you that don't know Tron, Tron is a modern and a popper deck where you're essentially trying to get the Tron lands onto the battlefield. So that's Urza's Tower, Urza's Power Plant, and Urza's Mine. If you have all three of them on the battlefield, they tap total seven mana. So Three lands, seven mana, helps you get out big, giant creatures and other spells that you can play before your opponent can. 
If you like playing commanders, uh, this is a or EDH, this is a pretty good deck for you to jump into, just because people like to play big fun things. Um, but yeah, that is the Tron lands that you would put into it. So like Mono Green Tron, we'll play with the Tron lands, so it takes up 12 card slots in your lands, and the rest are usually basics. There are also utility cards which you can play, like Ghost Quarter, which allow you to destroy like somebody else's land or even your own land and go search for a different basic land. But you know, and those are kind of up to your own discretion. And I wouldn't completely take out these other cards I'm talking about for those ones. Basic lands are great because it's cheap, it's efficient, your deck is already fixed as soon as you play your mana, and then you also get the speed that comes with the lands coming in untapped. So that's two factors you gotta look into, whether it's a monocolor deck, a two-color deck, or a three-plus color deck. Make sure that you're trying to play with mana that's fixed, first of all, and then try to play with lands that come in untapped if you can. The faster you can play your mana, the better off you're gonna be competitively, and that just helps power up your deck. And I can attest, as somebody who has played monocolor decks, two-color decks, and three-color decks, and heck, even five-color decks, the faster you can get it out and the better lands you can play, the more optimized and the better your deck feels. Now, for a two-color deck, this looks a little bit different. You can technically only play basics if you really want to. And if you're an aggro deck, do so. The more mana that you have coming to play untapped, again, is the better. And on a budget, basics are the cheapest that you can go and get them untapped. But if you're playing a mid-range deck or a control deck where you're probably not going to be going off on turn one or two, then it's fine to have your initial land come into play tapped. So my land mix for a super budget two-color deck is I would get four copies of the card Evolving Wilds or Terramorphic Expanse, depending on the availability and price. Heck, you can do two and two if you really want to. I'll go with four of the life lands, which tap for two colors, and they come in tapped, but you gain a life. So it helps fix your decks, and believe it or not, you can get one life back to you and push your opponent's clock back. And then we get two other come into play tapped lands. Usually the guild gates from Ravnica sets are pretty good since they've been reprinted to the ground across so many different sets, but there are other lands that just tap for two colors and come in untapped that can actually give you some utility and can still be fairly budget. So why that blend? Evolving Wilds or Terramorphic Expanse act as your budget fetch lands. Yes, you can only grab basics, and yes, it comes in tapped, but it fixes your mana and can help thin your deck by a card, which slightly increases your odds of not getting another land, but instead getting a spell that you can play. If you keep two of your lands in your starting hand, you shouldn't have any issues, because let's just say you have an Evolving Wilds in your hand, and you're playing a red-green deck, and you have a forest in your hand well you know that oh when i play my evolving wilds i want to go and get myself a mountain to ensure that i now have my red and green mana on the battlefield evolving wilds is kind of like you have to make a choice but it's kind of like it could be green or it could be red depending on the circumstance Lifelands, pretty self-explanatory. I kind of talked about it. You get life, which helps you stay alive longer, which is one of the best upsides. Granted, some decks don't care a whole lot, but most do. And then a good upside in the still budget price in the card. Um, at a decently high spot, it comes in for tap lands. A lot of people talk about these things in certain cards like Dismal Black Backwater. Dismal Backwater, it's been reprinted multiple times, just like the rest of the lifelands. But it comes to the battlefield tapped, you gain a life, and then it can tap for a blue or a black mana. So kind of like Evolving Wilds, where you say, oh, I now have the ability to go get one color or the other. This one will, again, allow you to get one color or the other. 
but without having to go search for a basic land, you had the opportunity that on that land, it's one or the other. And then, of course, the last two, I would just say throw in a couple gates or gate equivalent cards because you like to have your mana fixed above all else in the deck. So even if you're not going off turn one or turn two, having both colors of your mana is more important in these cases and really helps play into like control and mid-range decks a whole lot better. The average mid prices that I found for each of these cards were like 25 cents a piece if you're buying them directly off of TCG Player or Card Kingdom here in the US. But I'm sure you can find it for less at a local gaming store or from somebody's trade binder or heck, maybe in your own collection itself. So this land package should cost you $2.50 or less in most cases. Next is three color decks. Um, the way I would go through, I would get four life lands with one color being your primary and the other being your secondary, and then four life lands with one color being that primary color again, and then the other secondary. And then two more cards of either, <laughs> sorry, Evolving Wilds or Terramorphic Expanse. Three color decks gets a bit trickier to be honest, and you need to determine which color is your primary. So for example, if I built if I built an Esper deck, which is white, blue, and black, I would go through and look for what color is represented most in my deck by individual monocolored cards and any dual or tricolor cards like Demir, Azorius, Orzov, or Esper. In this example, just like with most, most decks, I find that I have a considerable amount of cards that need blue to cast. So this indicates that blue is my primary color as a large portion of my deck is dependent on it. If I don't have blue mana, most of my spells don't work, in other words. So I want to make sure that I have enough blue mana available to me, while also giving me some of the supporting colors. So in my example deck, I would have four Tranquil Cove, which that's the lifeland that types for blue or white mana, four Dismal Backwater, which I mentioned earlier, I, that taps for blue or black mana and also gets me a life, and then two Evolving Wilds. Now, this isn't the only way, and it's not perfect, but it is a good place for beginners to get started on the mana that they need getting fixed. And this should cost you around, again, $250. But um, everybody's going to have their different experience on how you want to go through and play with those things. You know, this example, I said blue is my main color. You might have a situation where you have two different colors that are kind of your primary and secondary. So you might want to move things around. But a lot of times you'll find in a tricolor deck, or even more than a tricolor deck, one, co one color is going to be outnumbering the rest of them in most cases. So where should you upgrade? We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But that is kind of the end of my beginner or casual mana bases. And I just want you guys to kind of know that's how they work. If you have questions, comments, concerns, let me know. And then if you want me to go into the upgrade side, go ahead and keep listening to the episode. I'm going to talk a little bit about that and kind of go into where you should evaluate cards and how some lands are better than others. So, upgrades. Where would I start off for upgrades? Should be fairly obvious, I've stated it a couple times now, but the sooner you can actually tap your land for mana, the better. Shock lands have kind of been the kind of the top staple for the best bang for your buck that you can get. They're not quite on dual land levels, which are on the reserve list. They are not getting reprinted, and those bad boys are super expensive. I forget which one I saw when I was looking through the market, but there's like one getting sold for like $8,500. Chances are you're not missing your money bags and running around with those. I would not recommend that you pick those up if you are a casual player like myself. Instead, Shockland should be kind of your top end. Like this is the dual land that I'm looking for. 
shock lands, they work this way. They have two different land types that's printed on the card. And they can tap for two different version, two different mana. And you have the choice of paying two life to have them come in untapped. Otherwise, don't pay the two life. They come in untapped um, if it's late game and you can say, hey, well, if I need the life or if I don't need that mana right now, have it come in tapped. You don't lose the two life. But if it's turn one or turn two, you're like, I need this to come in right now and I need these colors of mana, pay the two life. Now you got a card that comes in untapped and you can tap that for mana right away. Um, cards like Hallowed Fountain are shock lands. Hallowed Fountain reads that it is a land and it is a plains and island. So this is different compared to other dual lands that you might see, which just says it's a land. This one says it's a land, plains, island. So you can go fetch those up with certain cards like fetch lands. There are also other spells which let you go pick up those types. So Hallowed Fountain, it taps for blue or white, it is also a plains or an island. So if you have a card that says, go search your land for an island, like an island cycling card, you can go and get a basic island, or you can get Hallowed Fountain because it has island printed on it. And again, it has that little printed word that says, hey, you can pay two life and this comes in untapped. So you're gonna come to find that a lot of dual lands, if they come in untapped sooner, it's upgrade, but they are conditional in most cases. They don't just come in untapped without you having to sacrifice something or pay something or reveal something or meet a certain criteria. One of my top picks for conditional lands that are not the shock lands are the reveal lands from Shadows of Innerstrad, and I think they reprint them or continue the, the set or the color cycle in Kaldheim, but you essentially, you play the land, and then you have to reveal another land from your hand to have it come in untapped. So Fortified Village is one of those such cards. Fortified Village, it you can tap it for a green or a white. It does not specify that it's a plains or a forest, but what it does say is that whenever Fortified Village enters the battlefield, you may reveal a forest or a plains card from your hand. If so, it comes in untapped. And there's this whole cycle, Fortified Village, Port Town, um, I forget what the red black one is, the vampire one, but essentially all these ones you go through and you reveal a land that matches that type. So if you're playing with basic lands, you want to make sure that you have a basic forest or a basic plains in play or in your hand for Fortified Village to work. So you want Fortified Village to be played first. And this is where it's actually a little bit more favorable to aggro decks or maybe combo or control decks that want to play earlier because this is a land that you can get out on turn one and tap it for either color that you need. So that's one big piece of criteria is as you're evaluating these different conditional or dual lands, which ones can you actually get out on turn one and play right away? Those will be scored higher than ones that cannot. What you're going to also find is that through multiple sets, like the reveal lands, a lot of lands are put at the rare slots. So there's usually a color cycle. So depending on what colors that Wizards of the Coast decides to give to a cycle, they'll say, hey, here are some rare lands for those colors to make sure those decks work better and you can play your deck a little bit faster. So if you're looking around and you're looking for cards that come untapped under some conditional manner, look at the rare slots in each set, you might find some that work out better for you. Some are easier to meet than others, which makes them more competitive and viable for formats such as modern. Others that become more difficult to meet or maybe cannot be met every single time makes them less viable competitively or more budget for you. So keep an eye out for those ones that if they work for you and they fit your budget and they help spruce your deck up a little bit, it, you might have an opportunity to pick those up for cheap 
compared to having to put out prices for like shock lands and fetch lands and the like. So look towards the SOI rare lands for an example, but also look at the ones like printed in Battle for Zendikar, like Prairie Stream, which requires you to already have two more basic lands. This is more, if you're going towards, oh, this is getting worse, this is the route you want to look at. Prairie Stream, similar to Hallow Fountain, is a plains or an island. It taps for blue or white. However, Prairie Stream requires you to already have two or more basic lands in play already. So Prairie Stream kind of messes you up that if you're playing with other dual lands and you have those on the battlefield, Prairie Stream is looking specifically for basic lands in play. Prairie Stream is fetchable, which is nice, but this will tend itself to go towards late game decks or control decks again because you can't play those on turn one. So some rare lands might not be as viable as other ones. So keep that in mind. But again, this might be a very good budget option. And then finally, fetch lands. I've, I've mentioned the name a couple of different times, but fetch lands are specific cards because they are the all-powerful replacement and easy upgrade to Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse. The downside of these is that they cannot fit into every single deck, but they can get two different land types which functionally will fit into your main deck. And when paired up with the shock lands or battle for Zendikar lands or any other land that has a basic land type printed on them, you can occasionally turn your fetch land into a three color fetching machine where it shouldn't be. The high upsides here is that it does not force you to only get basics and it does not force you to put in play and tapped. They get to come into play untapped, which is super nice. Yes, you have to pay a life, but I mean, honestly, a lot of people, especially in the modern or more competitive formats, they'll say, yeah, I'm okay with going and playing a fetch land, going and getting a shock land for two different colors that I need, and I'm paid three life overall, but now I'm completely fixed color-wise in my deck, and I get to play everything on turn one if I really want to. So it's up to you what journey you decide to take and to help spruce up your decks and make them more powerful. But I can attest as somebody who is a bit more of a budget player, I've got a lot more money sunk into magic now, thanks to card prices and stuff going up and trading and just playing over the years. But when you are starting off, you're going to see a huge change from going from basics only to adding in some dual slash tap lands. And then you'll see a big change from just using the everything comes into play tapped to getting shock and fetch lands. And it's crazy how much increased viability my decks have had since I switched over to the fetch shocks for my Esper decks that I do play right now and my other modern decks. But hopefully that helps you guys out. I know I talked a lot towards the beginners, towards the beginning, but if you guys are looking to go down the upgrade path, you don't have to, but it does help out a ton. If you got a little bit of extra money and you're like, this is my favorite deck. Maybe you're playing a two color vampires deck that's black and red and you absolutely love it. And you're like, okay, well, what are some of the upgrades that I can do to make this more viable? Maybe I want to play my vampires sooner. I want to make sure I have my mana available to you. Hopefully this upgrade list helped you out there. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to throw some more at my way or maybe give me some ideas of what I can talk about next, hit me up at the jhamspecial at gmail.com or the jhamspecial on Twitter. That's the official email and Twitter for the podcast itself. Um, if you want me to bring on some more guest hosts, I'd be happy to do that too. I know my buddy Alex, he's been pretty uh, receptive for joining me on these things, but I have other people that have taught magic um, who may be able to chip in and kind of give some advice to a lot of beginners too. So until the next time, you guys have a great rest of your day and I will see you on the next Magic Monday.